Let's bow our heads and uh, pray. Lord God, may the thoughts, uh, the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do please sit. Sorry about the complete mess up on the screen just then. That's uh, uh, my fault and no one else's. Um, It seemed to me at late notice to be better to use a John reading than a Luke reading to back up what uh, we're doing in Psalm 19. Uh, What I want to do this morning is to try to do something, what we can, to restore our confidence in the business of talking about Christian faith. There was a survey recently from the Evangelical Alliance, and it found that 48% of Christians were simply too scared to talk to others about their Christian faith. Now, that is very serious. Perhaps you know of people who've become Christians. It's great. But for every one Christian who's converted at the moment, uh, just in this, these few years, four others are dying. That's just in this country. That's the degree to which we do not have a replacement rate. There is a tide that needs to be turned, and we must do what we can. Now, what follows is probably the closest I've come uh, to drawing directly on the work I've done for the last couple of years on a master's degree. And sometimes uh, some of you say to me, oh, well, what difference will it make? Uh, So here we go. There are two factors that made this date significant in preparation. Uh, Something was going on at the Christian Union at the UEA that suggested a science link. But then I remembered it would also be Remembrance Day, and I thought, oh, I'd better change it then. But then I thought, no, actually, two things fit rather well together. Because the central issue that I want to look at is this. What do we do with just what's around us to point people to Jesus? To use the phrase that the Archbishop of Canterbury is fond of. Now, I agree, as I set it out like that, that doesn't sound very interesting. Um, But I think we spend quite a lot of time hoping that what's going on around us, in the world or in the church, will somehow point people to Jesus. It might be science. It might be Remembrance Day. It might be our sports teams, our children's work or our seniors' work. So let me give an illustration of what I mean in terms of science. How many of you, serious question, it's not a trick question, how many of you have ever seen a sight in nature that just makes you want to give thanks to God? Okay, thank you. That's by far the majority, and that's what you'd expect. Great. You saw something, and it pointed you to God. Now, on another tack more to do with Remembrance Day. Consider the hymn, I vow to thee, my country. It's a patriotic hymn. It uh, concerns the feelings that we might have for country and for God. Um, Actually, it was written by the guy who persuaded the American president to join the First World War. So it's a not insignificant guy who wrote it. But in it occur these lines. The love that asks no question, 
the love that stands the test, the love that, uh, the lo- that lays upon the altar, the dearest and the best, the love that never falters, the love that pays the price, the love that makes undaunted the final sacrifice. In the tempest of battle and of war, the author has found pointers to another love and speaks of altars and sacrifices. The last verse of the hymn is actually even more specific in Christian reference. What there was going on around him at that moment pointed him, at least, to the sacrifice of Christ. So, turn then to Psalm 19. And we've got material there in verses 1 to 6 to thrill the heart of any decent scientist, any observer uh, of the heavens. The writer looks up at the heavens by day and by night and finds that what is going on points in every way to God. Well, that's terrific. But it makes us ask, how come Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox, isn't Christian? And for those of us who've seen signals in nature that point us to God, how come Sir David Attenborough isn't a Christian? We may see a sunset, a kingfisher, or a bird of paradise, and our heart sings at the beauty of what our God has created But Sir David says he thinks of a little boy sitting by a river in West Africa while a parasitic worm bores its way into his eyeball. If the God who made the sunset made the worm, how can such a God claim to be a God of love? And to this extent, Attenborough is right. We can't claim to the unbeliever that nice things are there to point us to God and then forget the nasty things. In fact, approaching God via science or any other knowledge of our own is just a version of the theory that dominated the Western world through until the time of Martin Luther 500 years ago. The idea was that by looking at what's around us, And by thinking it through philosophically, thinking about cause and effect, about science in other words, any thinking person, starting from no religious persuasion at all, would eventually build up blocks of more and more belief and arrive at the idea of God. It's actually still, in formal terms, the Roman Catholic position. So I should be fair and say that they hold it much more subtly than that these days. Nonetheless, the idea is that anyone, anyone walking past this church, not coming in on a Sunday, can build a bridge from where they are to the Christian God. The same thing can happen with remembrance. The loss of military and civilian life in the great wars that have happened in the past and continue now It's a fact, but it's an interpretation to say that those lives lost were in some sense a sacrifice 
that, to use the quotation, for your tomorrows we gave our today. When we look at the facts of war and the highly variant interpretations made at the time and later of what was going on, something becomes clear that we do a disservice to those who died if we romanticize their loss of life and pretend we can build a bridge from them to that greater sacrifice of God in Christ, as the patriotic hymn believes. And we certainly do no favors to the soldiers of other faiths from the then empire, who would have been quite upset to think that their lives and deaths were being co-opted into a Christian narrative. And at this point, then, we have to turn to our other text. So please turn to uh, John. Keep a finger in Psalm 19 if you'd like to, because we haven't finished with it. John 3. Jesus is speaking. And it began with the familiar words of verse 16. At this point, we have to turn to that text and ask what Jesus himself says. Because it turns out that what he does basically is blow up all these bridges by which humanity tries to build to God. Light has come into the world, he says in verse 19. Men, people loved darkness instead of light. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Now, I suggest two reasons for taking Jesus very seriously. Firstly, he says it. I don't say it. Philosophers don't uh, say it. Great religious teachers aren't saying it. Jesus is saying it. Jesus' diagnosis is that people love darkness rather than light. And if Jesus says this, it might be good to believe that that's the case. Secondly, we can point to two great flaws in all the bridge-building arguments. First, if you can build a bridge towards God, but from what you know in this world, then you are doing so without needing Jesus. That makes Jesus' death and resurrection unnecessary and therefore takes from us any hope of our own resurrection. That's the first flaw. The other flaw is this. Why would anyone who loves darkness want to cross the bridge? According to Jesus, there's no reason for them to want to arrive at God anyway. I, I question whether we actually believe what Jesus says. Because according to Jesus, all those people who say to us slightly wistfully, Oh, I wish I could believe. I wish I had your faith. We need to say to them, respectfully and gently, actually, no, you don't. If you think that you wish you could believe, then by definition, the definition of Jesus, the belief you think you wish for is actually a fantasy and not the following of Jesus Christ in any sense at all. You see, I want to think about other people, what Jesus thinks about them. 
I don't want to think about them, some fantasy based on our own efforts. So why do we find ourselves, sometimes as individuals, sometimes as churches, so committed to this bridge building? And I think it's because we're confused about the order in which things happen. So, again, put your, go back now to, to Psalm 19. We've forgotten what Psalm 19 says. The second half of it. Isn't it extraordinary the way it goes from verse 6 to verse 7? We're talking about the heavens, we're talking about the stars, we're talking about the sun, and suddenly the law of the Lord is perfect. The second half of Psalm 19 speaks of God's revelation of himself. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. That's a much bigger claim than the revelation through the heavens. The heavens cannot revive your soul. It's a much bigger claim than the revelation through the heavens. It's not that we start with the heavens. And the order of Psalm 19, if we're not careful, confuses us. It's, the psalm starts with the heavens, yes. But only because the second half is already there. It's not that we start with the heavens as unbelievers. It is that once we have understood God in his word, that's the second half, we then go back and see that the heavens were actually pointing us to God all along. They were pointing us, but we couldn't see it. Remembrance is pointing us, but we cannot see it because people love darkness rather than light. It's because we know the revelation of God in his word, his word written, his word come as flesh in Jesus Christ, that we then look out to the world around us and find that, yes, that sunset does point us to Christ, and that's fine. But there's all the difference in the world between you looking at that sunset as a believer and saying, that, that God is amazing. And turning to your unbelieving friend and saying, look at that sunset. How can you not believe in God? Because they don't believe in God. Of course they don't. Because they haven't come to Jesus Christ, to his word, to the second half of Psalm 19. We get confused thinking that what is a joy to us to learn must be a building block, a bridge for unbelievers. But it isn't. Not in the least. Not if we want to take Jesus seriously, that men and women and boys and girls love darkness. We cannot build to God. So here's an illustration. Two weeks tomorrow, Peter Bussey here will deliver a talk here in the meeting place about the Higgs boson, the so-called God particle. What's going on at an event like that? I hope to bring an unbelieving friend who's a scientist do I hope that by the end of the talk from Peter, my friend will slap his forehead and say, what a fool I've been. I now see, Alan, that there is a scientific way to God that I've missed all, the, all along. Thank you, Peter. All is now clear. No, I don't. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> I like my friend, but by Jesus' definition, he loves darkness more than light. The most that can happen, and this is why we do it, is that he learns that Christians of scientific mind believe their faith to be coherent 
their faith that Jesus is Lord to be coherent with the work that they do in this world. He will not be able to say then, I don't think he says it much now, but it's another bit of the rug pulled away. He will not be able to say that these Christians are okay as people, but they ignore the evidence of science. He will have to recognize that the evidence is as scientifically important to them, too, as it is to him, but they hold it with believing that Jesus is Lord. The science will not lead him to Christ. But when someone who knows Christ says, looks back and understands the science, they say, oh, oh, I, I have to take that seriously. In a similar way, let's go to remembrance. The deaths of all those who died and who still die in the wars past and present have their own reason and integrity. We can mourn them, and we should indeed remember them in their own terms. But we do not need to pretend that they were all somehow pointers to a greater sacrifice. If we want that, we go to someone like Maximilian Kolbe, the Catholic priest, who quite deliberately sacrificed his life in Auschwitz, volunteering to take the place of another man who had a wife and children. It is not possible to build up to God because people love darkness rather than light. Only one who has come down can take us to God because he is the light in the darkness. I said I wanted this to be about encouragement. So let me try to offer just that as we move to a conclusion. It is simple. Jesus is Lord. Science is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The armed forces are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that seems to me to point to two conclusions. First, if you're here today, specially, unusually, to offer remembrance of those who died, well, that will be a good thing. But in itself, hear Jesus It is not a God thing. Don't think that a proper respect for the fallen, even in a church, can in any way lift you to God. It cannot, because it begins and ends with those who died in conflict. It doesn't need Jesus. It doesn't need Jesus to come and deliver his diagnosis over all conflict, over the conflict in your heart and in mine. It doesn't need him to come and tell you and me that we are more wicked than we ever thought, but more loved than we ever hoped. And if it doesn't need Jesus, then the God any reflection on remembrance takes you to is not the true God of the Bible. The other conclusion is for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. Don't start to think that we need expertise to talk to others. If you are uh, friends with those who are scientists... Don't worry if you can't explain the uncertainty principle to them because you're too uncertain of it. Rather, ask them if you can take a moment to explain to them the source of everything that matters to you. If you have friends who are new parents, don't try too hard to make your beliefs parent-shaped. Give them a gospel and suggest they might take it in very small chunks in the middle of the night. 
Your task as a follower is simply to extend your own awareness, wherever life takes you, that Jesus is Lord over all of it, just like the psalmist did with the heavens. Turns out it's not a bad day to be sending people off to mark the completion of a translation of a New Testament into another language. The Muyang will not be brought to Christ by saying to them, look at the stars, although the stars shine much brighter for them than they do for us. They will not be brought to Christ by a reminder of the conflicts they have endured with the tribes around them in the lowlands, extensive though that conflict has been over the last few centuries. Just like us, they need someone from outside their circumstances to come and announce to them that there is light in their darkness and his name is Jesus. Every single one of us who follows him has that truth at our disposal. Don't waste time trying to be clever. Just go straight to the point. If Jesus is your Lord, then that is the best place to start. Let's pray. Lord God, we give to you our fear. We recognize it before you. The times when we have thought, oh, I should say something here, I could say something here, oh, but I don't really want to. And we ask that you would renew our conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord of simply, absolutely everything. And out of that conviction, may he be enough in the words we then speak to others. For we ask it because he is Lord of all, Lord of all people, whether they yet know it or not, Lord of this world, whether it knows it or not. And in his uh, own way, he waits for you to bring in the fulfillment of the times in which that will be clear to all. So give us the grace to speak it before the end time is fulfilled. Amen.